Sepsis, or the infection causing sepsis, starts before a patient goes to the hospital in nearly 87% of cases. Sepsis is a medical emergency. If you or your loved one has an infection that's not getting better or is getting worse, act fast. Get medical care immediately. Ask your healthcare professional, could this infection be leading to sepsis? And if you should go to the emergency room, learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. Work is broken, and so is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is picking up the pieces so you can take control of your career, put yourself first, and be your own HR. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Years ago, I went to work for a company named Pfizer. Now, you may know Pfizer because they make three drugs that every American takes. They make Lipitor for your heart. Viagra for your other heart, and Xanax, which is the HR lady drug of choice. I went to work for Pfizer because my husband worked for a company that was acquired by Pfizer, and we were relocated to Western Michigan. Now, if you've never been to Western Michigan, you're not alone because I had never been to Western Michigan before we were relocated there, and there's not a lot going on. I mean, there's universities and healthcare systems but mostly it's just apple orchards and I don't know, a lot of Dutch reformed people just being conservative. The cost of living out there is super low and I had money socked away. So I didn't need to rush back to work in any capacity. So I took my time, I looked around and I actually had two offers. One from a pharmaceutical company that does like private label medications. When you go to Target, you go to CVS and you get their brand of ibuprofen. That pharmaceutical company offered me a role in human resources. Then I had another offer from a company just north of where we lived, and they were like a private holding company, and they're pretty notorious in the world of multi-level marketing, but they also own hotels. So I had these two offers, but then Pfizer called and said, we'd love for you to interview for a position. And since my husband worked there and it would be a shorter commute, I thought, what the heck, I'll go, I'll interview. The role on paper was called HR advisor, and that's because we were in a weird time in the world of human resources where we didn't like using the word generalist, but we didn't quite have the word business partner down pat. So I interviewed for the role of HR advisor for the Midwest, and it was my responsibility to sit and kind of be a strategic liaison between the Midwest and things that were happening in New York for corporate finance, corporate IT, corporate aviation, all the corporate functions outside of New York City. And of course, like with every job, they totally oversold it. (laughs) You know, it was going to be the strategic position. I was going to have all kinds of visibility. It could go national. It could go international. And I thought, wow, this really sounds great. I came to New York City for my final round of interviews. And on this illustrious, beautiful day, some of my future colleagues took me out to lunch at a little restaurant in Tudor City. And Tudor City is near the UN. And we walk in and I'm wearing a black suit because I don't know, it's New York. That's what I thought you had to wear. And I sit down and immediately they swap out the white napkins for the black ones. And I thought, oh my God, is this how the rich do it? I felt like such a corporate executive. Right then and there, I should have realized how corn chip I was, how Midwestern I was. I mean, I, you know, I had no place in this restaurant. Then I go back to Pfizer and I have another round of interviews. And the end of the day, I wind up with... I don't know how to describe him without totally outing him, but let's call him Chuck. So I meet with this guy, Chuck, and he's like, in his mind, he's the number one guy 
in HR at Pfizer, but he's really like, I don't know, at the time, maybe number six, but he had big dreams. And he tells me his life story, doesn't really ask me about my background, calls me kind of junior, which I mean, I was junior, but I wasn't as junior as he thought I was. I mean, it was really a weird thing. It was if all of my experience before Pfizer didn't count. And I know that because he said, all of your experience before Pfizer doesn't count. And it's like you're starting over with your career and you need to learn how to bleed blue. And I'm like, all right, I can bleed blue. That's not that hard. <laughs> like, most people who are working class like me, they can morph. They can camouflage their feelings. They can do whatever they need to do in order to earn a paycheck. So towards the end of the interview, Chuck's going on and on about himself. He was in the Air Force. He's got these kids, blah, blah, blah. Kids might have been adopted. I can't remember. Maybe not. I, yeah, I might have confused him with someone else. But anyway, Chuck gets to the interview and he tells me, Lori, Pfizer is a notoriously hard place to work. It's difficult. But I have got your back and I believe in collaboration and trust and teamwork. And you are allowed to make as many mistakes as you need to make. But if you ever make a mistake and you don't tell me, well, I'm going to rip your head off and shit down your throat. And I was like, what? <laughs> what did you just say? And I thought maybe he was pretending to be a character from Austin Powers, like Dr. Evil. So I laughed. And then he looked me dead in the eyes and said, we're going to make you an offer. What's it going to take to get you to come to Pfizer? And I said, a really big offer. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was the most awkward thing I've ever said, but that was it, man. Because when someone tells you they're going to rip your head off and shit down your throat, the only reason you take that job is for money. And at that time in my life, I had about $40,000 worth of student loans remaining. And, you know, my husband and I were at this place where we were still relatively new newlyweds. I mean, we'd only been married for three years. And I had big dreams. You know, I wanted to travel more. We had just bought this house in Western Michigan that was absolutely stunning and needed about 40 grand worth of landscaping because we had all these trees. So really for me, Pfizer was just a way to kind of catch up and earn more money. And my husband had a great job with an awesome paycheck and everything I earned would just be extra. But you know, free money is never free. <laughs> in fact, it always takes a toll on your soul. And I should not have taken that job at Pfizer. Now, I gained a ton of good experience and some of the job promise was correct. I did expand my skills nationally and internationally. I worked with just some of the smartest people I've ever met in my career, but it was at a cost. A cost to my ego, a cost to my integrity, a cost to my value, a cost to my well-being, to my sleep, to my weight, to my health. I mean, this job really wore on me. No matter how hard I worked, I wasn't working hard enough. It was like, cut your arm off and bleed blue. And if you show me you're bleeding blue, I'm going to criticize that it's not the right shade of blue and you haven't been bleeding as long enough as so-and-so who's worked here 17 years. Or you may bleed blue, but you didn't start bleeding blue until we asked you to bleed blue and who knows what you're doing in your off time. I mean, it was just such a weird, toxic, suspicious environment and people really did not assume good intent. I mean, it's just absolutely stunning how negative the culture was. I hate even using the word culture because it does a disservice to the word culture. It was just such a weird environment. And yet from that experience, I don't know, I've made some lifelong friends. It's like we all had Stockholm syndrome at the same time. And now that we're free, we're like, oh yeah, man, that was messed up. But I can't end this podcast without telling you the most important lesson that I learned from Pfizer. And that's this. 
I did not have to take that job. And when it was a bad fit, I didn't have to stay with it. Right from the start, I knew that this job would cramp my well-being and there would be no way that I could live a happy life where I'd get a lot of rest and feel restored and feel good about my job and start a family and do all the things that I wanted to do. There was absolutely no way that was going to happen. But instead, because I had student loans and I wanted to do these things with my house and I wanted to go on vacation, I let the money drive my decisions. And had I just fixed my relationship with money, I could have had a different relationship with work. I think it was also really easy for me to cast myself in the role of victim because Pfizer was so big and I was so tiny, (laughs) physically, emotionally, spiritually, I'm just tiny all the way around, but I'm no victim. I think that's what I want to leave you with today. There is no cavalry coming. You are the only person who can fix work. And everything I just described that was wrong with Pfizer was absolutely wrong, right? But what was really wrong is that I lowered my standards and compromised my values and took that job in the first place. There was no way I was ever going to fix it or have a good employment experience. I should not have taken that job in the first place. And it is a early and important affirmation that you fix work by fixing yourself. If you know that a job is a bad fit, You don't have to take it. But if you do take it, it doesn't have to be a forever job. And if you start a job and it turns sour on you, I know the easy answer is to quit, but it's the only answer. And no one's telling you you have to quit right away. You can make a plan. You can invest in yourself. You can invest in your well-being. You can invest in your learning. You can use that job as a platform, but you have to get the hell out of there. There is no leadership without self-leadership. So if you're looking around and you're waiting for someone to be the person to make a change, look in the mirror because that person is you. I have a lot of hilarious stories at Pfizer and some that I'm not even allowed to tell. You know, the stories are great and those stories have made a portion of my career as a writer and someone who's contrarian. And I love going out on the road and swapping tales and I love talking to people who used to work at Pfizer, but it wasn't worth it, (laughs) you know? I made a lot of money and I did some interesting things, but it was not worth it. And I think today in 2019 and 2020, if you're looking for work and you take something only because of money, only because of what it pays, you're complicit. You are absolutely complicit. Now, not everybody has the same privilege I do, I guess. Not everybody can go around and pick and choose jobs based on how they make them feel. Tell me about it. I understand this. But in 2020 and beyond, if you're working in a job that eats your soul alive and you're not spending half your day trying to get out of that job, something's wrong. The era of learned helplessness is over. If you're stuck in a job and you don't act like a business person, if you don't act like a capitalist and march with those boots and get the hell out of that job, you're sending the wrong message to the marketplace, number one. But number two, you have a role to play in your own unhappiness and you need to explore that, whether it's through counseling, whether it's through therapy, whether you talk to a member of the clergy or just a good friend. If you're working in a job you hate, that eats your soul alive, that compromises your values, figure out out why and stop making the same mistakes over and over again. That is my lesson from Pfizer. That is what I'm writing about in my book. And that is my dream for you, that you fix work by fixing yourself, that you build a life that you love, a life that you enjoy, a life that has meaning or doesn't have meaning, but it's a life on your terms and your terms alone. 
Now, I'm just a working class girl from the northwest side of Chicago who's moved around a lot, had quite a crazy career, doesn't have a background in psychology, cannot, like other motivational speakers, memorize and spout off facts about the brain. Like, I don't remember any of that. Yeah, your brain is dumb. That's what I remember. But I know this, that if someone like me can put herself first and run her life like a business, there's hope for you too. Make this fourth quarter that we're entering in the quarter where you stop taking shit at work, where you stop rolling over, where you stop feeling like a victim and you start to live a life that you've always wanted. At least make some baby steps. That's my hope for you. If you need some help with that, you can always reach out at hello at letsfixwork.com and let me know how I can be helpful. Let's Fix Work was produced by Danny Osmet and his team at Emerald City Productions. If you like what you hear, we would really love for you to go online to wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a four or five or seven star review. Whatever the max review is, that's what we want. Now that's all for today and I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. If you're ready to make a real change in your workplace, start today by number one, subscribing to Let's Fix Work on the Apple Podcasts app or iTunes or Stitcher or Android or wherever you listen. Number two, write a five-star rating and review. And number three, share it with a friend, colleague, or coworker who you think would enjoy our episodes.